Our God and our Father, we thank you for the gathering of believers. We thank you for the local church. Men and women who, whom you have saved by your grace. Men and women who have been born again by divine power. Thank you, O Lord, that you have loved us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have died for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live within us. And we thank you that we can gather with like-minded believers for encouragement and strengthening and fellowship and worship. We pray, O God, that you would minister to our hearts through the Word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To begin, I'd like to ask you to take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, and as you're turning there, I want to let you know what we're doing today. We are going to talk about the vision of the church, the vision of Christ Fellowship Bible Church, and you see that there on the PowerPoint. Last week, we looked at the mission of the church, who are we and what are we about, Today, we are looking at the vision and where do we want to go. When the mission statement is lived out, who do we want to be and where do we want to go? We want to be a disciple-making church. Now, follow with me, if you would, Matthew 28. I will begin at the Great Commission. It's the familiar passage. Look at verse 18, Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came up and he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age." But did you notice there at the beginning of verse 20, a very important part of the Great Commission, verse 20, is that we are to teach one another. We are to be teaching believers to observe all that God commands. The story is told of a pastor who had conversations with a number of workers who were constructing. They were part of a large building construction project, and a huge, beautiful cathedral and a beautiful church. And as the pastor was walking by, he engaged with one of the construction workers, and he said, what are you doing? And the man said, well, I'm laying a brick. And then he walked a little bit further, and he saw another man at work. And the pastor said, well, what are you doing? And the man said, I'm, I'm building a large cathedral. And there's an amazing difference in the heart and the mind of a person who's just kind of laying a brick, and yet there's a difference between that and someone who has the vision of the big purpose, the big goal in mind. One has the vision in mind, the other doesn't. One of the workers understood the larger purpose of the project, the other didn't. One was motivated and the one was inspired and the other wasn't. We need to know and cling to and pursue the vision of the church. What does Christ Fellowship Bible Church want to be and do, and where are we headed? 
Well, the vision of the church on the screen up here is to be a disciple-making church. It's on the website, it's on the bulletin, it's on all the literature that we have that we send out. The vision of the church is to be a disciple-making church. Now, when we talk about a vision statement of the church, it conveys what God desires to see in the future for the church and what we ought to aim for in a particular time frame. It shows what the mission statement will look like when the mission is lived out. That's what a vision statement does. It kind of sets the agenda. It sets the plan. It sets the framework for what we want to do in the future. It brings order into the ministry because every person contributes toward that vision statement. So when a vision statement is clear and when it is well communicated, it becomes kind of a measure. It becomes a barometer for work and prayer and effort and obedience to God in his word. As I was thinking about the vision statement of our church, there are a number of reasons why I think a good vision has helpful safeguards. I think, number one, it unites the church together. It unites the church. Why? Because you recognize that we have a common identity, that's our mission, and a common goal, that's our vision. When we have a good vision of the church, it reduces church conflict. I wish it always eliminated church conflict, but it reduces church conflict. Why? Because we're working together. We're working together recognizing that we are here to be disciples of the Lord and disciple makers of one another. Third, it provides accountability so that we can all accomplish the goal together. It's not an elder's job or the deacon's job or one person's job. It's It's everybody's job to be a disciple maker. It inspires and motivates the people of God if we have a good vision statement because we know how we can serve. The vision of the church is not find a big program and plug in and do something. The vision of the church is more people-oriented. I am here to disciple you. You are here to disciple one another. That's what we do together in the church family. And it clarifies the common goal as well. When I think about the summary of your Christian life, think of it like this. You come to Christ in conversion, and then you grow in Christ in sanctification. That's the vision of the church, growing in Christ. We are highlighting the discipleship element of the church. Now, last week, we looked at the mission of the church, right? Who are we? Well, we exist to glorify God by preaching the word, evangelizing the lost, discipling the saved, and obeying Jesus Christ all by the power of the Spirit. That's who we are, and that's what we are about in our mission. Our vision is to take that and show what it looks like as we live it out in life. And that's what we want to do. We want to be a disciple-making church. I'm going to define this in a number of ways today, but you see it there in your outline. I, I define discipleship in a way that I think is faithful to the word. It's this. Discipleship is one believer helping another believer follow Jesus. And I'm sure there's much more detail that probably could be given and far more ways that that could be fleshed out. But it's one believer helping another believer follow Jesus. 
Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, which you see there in your Bible, it gives your duty and your role in the Great Commission. Hear this. God is saying to you from the Word that all Christians, if you're here today, all Christians, as a believer, all Christians have a role in prayerfully speaking the Word of God to each other. Every believer has a responsibility. We all have a duty to do that one with another. Now, we all acknowledge that when we gather together on Sunday, the sermon is important. Uh, Being fed the Word of God is necessary, but I think we would acknowledge that it's not sufficient if that's your only diet for spiritual growth. We, We recognize the power of the Word, and we recognize the necessity of the preaching of the Word, but we also recognize the need to grow together in a family of believers, one with another. In our day, we are certainly fighting against consumerism, aren't we? Consumerism, this, this mentality that just kind of church exists for me and I come when I want and I get what I want and if I'm not uh, receiving what I think I deserve or what I expect or what I desire, I leave and try to find another place. That's the consumerism mentality. We're also good at our culture at paying professionals to do the work. You know, we go to the professor, we go to the therapist, we go to the doctor, we go to the the whoever, because they're the professional. But in the body of Christ, in the church family, the key that the New Testament brings out all over the place is congregational involvement. Congregational involvement. What we're going for is an every member ministry. Every member ministry. So that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a a committed member here of Christ's fellowship, that that you have a role to play in the local church. Again, you've come to Christ, and now our role is to grow in Christ. Uh, One of the ways in which this vision statement came about is quite simply through the conviction that the Bible is the power of God. The Bible is the power of God. So here's what this means. If we're going to live out the the vision, if we're going to live out being disciples of one another, we have to believe that genuine growth in the Christian life comes as the Holy Spirit applies His Word to people's hearts. That's the beauty of discipleship. We believe that God the Spirit will work with His Word in the hearts of the people as we minister that one to another. Every Christian has the privilege and every Christian has the responsibility to take the word of God and speak that to one another, every believer. And Christians are taught and trained that we have the privilege of meeting together with God's people, and we can read the Bible together, we can pray together, we can urge one another on, we can spur one another on to love and good deeds in any place, in any setting, in any context, because we have the power of the Word of God. We are all disciples of Christ, and we are to be disciple makers of one another. Let me just give you a couple of scriptures. I've, I've spoken for a little bit on the topic, but let me show you from the Bible. Uh, very quickly, I'm going to mention some. We'll turn to scriptures here in a little bit. 
Colossians 3.16, all, uh, all scripture not only is inspired, but the text says it, that we are to let the word dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we must speak truth to one another. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, every Christian should be abounding in the work of the Lord. In Titus chapter 2, 3 to 5, older women are to teach the younger women godliness of heart and godliness in the marriage and godliness in their home life. Matthew 28, all Christians are to make disciples and teach others. So quite, quite simply, if I could sort of summarize everything that has been said so far, our goal our vision. Our goal is to make disciples who make other disciples to the glory of God. We want to make disciples who make other disciples to the glory of God. In your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 18. I want to, I want to show you this. We're sort of jumping, we're sort of parachuting down into the beginning of the third of Paul's missionary journeys. And as Paul begins the travels in Acts 18, notice in verse 24, there is a Jew, and his name is Apollos, and he's an Alexandrian man by birth from Egypt. He's an eloquent man, and he comes to the city of Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus being acquainted only with the baptism of John. So what he knew was accurate, it just wasn't complete. He wasn't preaching heresy, it just wasn't the full story. So verse 26, he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when, I love this team, Priscilla and Aquila, when they heard him, that is Apollos teaching, they took him aside and they explained the way to him, the way of God, more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him, and they wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. I love how when Priscilla and Aquila are hearing Apollos teach, when they are hearing him teach and they recognize what he's saying, but yet there's growth that needs to happen, they take him aside. They take him aside deliberately. They take him aside intentionally, very purposefully, They take him aside privately, and I love how the text says right here in verse 26, they explained the way of God accurately. That word accurately means circumspectly. They were careful. They were deliberate. It's almost like you can almost hear this married team taking Apollos aside and saying, you know what, we love your passion and we love your zeal and your knowledge is good, but there's more to the story. And they're careful and they're deliberate and they're circumspect with what they teach and how they disciple Apollos. So he's encouraged, and then he's sent away to the brethren, and he teaches 
others as well. This is the pattern of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, that it is Paul telling Timothy to take the things that he's heard and give that to faithful men so that they can teach others as well. It's the ministry multiplication, the ministry multiplication. So again, let me just remind us that all Christians, every Christian has a duty by God to teach, to teach. We are to encourage one another. We are to build up one another. We are to edify one another. If you want to jump with me to a couple of scriptures, let me read for you 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11. This is after Paul talks about how believers have the hope of eternal life, that God has not destined us for wrath. And then in verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another as you're already doing. Church family, this is Paul saying to the Thessalonian believers that we are to edify and encourage and speak and build up one another. Turn over to the right just a little bit more to Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to preach on this. In just a little bit. Hebrews 3, look at verse 13. The Bible says, Encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So there's a clear command, not just to the missionary or the elder or the pastor or the deacon, but to the whole church. Hebrews 3.13, we are to encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. Turn back, if you would, in your Bible to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in the city of Rome. And I love how he's already talked about praising God, both Jews and Greeks in Romans 15, praising God. Now look at verse 14, Romans 15, 14. Concerning you, my brethren, I myself am convinced that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and you're able to warn or admonish or teach, you might have in your translation. Those are, those are accurate and appropriate renditions of this word that we are to counsel, we are to help, we are to minister, we are to give teaching to one another. This is Paul writing to the believers. Every believer is filled with goodness and filled with knowledge from the gospel that he wrote here in Romans chapters 1 to 15. We are filled with that knowledge and we can speak truth to one another. Another passage in Colossians chapter 3, I alluded to it earlier, but let me just quote it here. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, perhaps the clearest, writing to the whole church, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. So we are to let God's word dwell in us as we study the truth and then we teach, and we admonish, and we counsel, and we instruct, we disciple one another. But yet what I hear, and what you could, you could only imagine, somebody might say, you know, I'm glad you do that. We pay you to do that, Jeff. Well, somebody might say, that's just not me. 
You know, that's not my personality. I'm not gifted in this. I'm not very outgoing. I'm an introvert in all the different ways that people could speak and respond to such things, to which God, in his most tender way, would respond, no. It is your duty. It is your duty. It is your responsibility. And really, it's our commitment to one another in the church assembly. If I could summarize what uh, Tony Payne put in a wonderful little book, The Trellis and the Vine, he said it like this, God expects all Christians to be disciple makers by prayerfully speaking the word of God to other people in whatever way and to whatever extent that their gifting and their circumstances may allow. Uh, Different folks have different seasons of life and spheres of life and different contexts of life. Um, But yet we're filled with knowledge, filled with goodness. We have God's word and we're able to admonish one another. I like how in that book, Trellis and the Vine, they make the case. It's not just churches that make disciples. It's disciples who make disciples. It doesn't just sort of automatically happen. It takes intentionality. It takes purpose, a little bit of resolve to make disciples, as our Savior commands in Matthew chapter 28. And there are many, many ways that it can look. It doesn't have to fit one cookie-cutter way or form or shape all the time. It could be small group discipleship. It could be one-on-one over a phone. It could be meeting before church or after church. It could be meeting in someone's home. It could be meeting at a coffee shop. It could be be as you're going with other individuals. But one of the things that has been such a blessing to me in my life and ministry is the intentional weekly meeting with others in the Word of God for discipleship. I love the study of the Word, and I love the preaching of the Word, but yet there's so much more to Christian growth than Sunday. Uh, I love the meeting with others. And you can think about your life. We're all busy. Everybody is busy. We all have been given the same 24-hour segment of time each day. We all have been given seven days in one week that we have to be stewards of what God provides. The question is, how much of a priority is it in your time and in your schedule to make disciples Of one another. No doubt it takes time. No doubt it takes sacrifice. No doubt it it requires love for the people of God, genuine love for their maturity and growth. No doubt it takes trust. I trust God's word, that God will use his word through me as a weak vessel to minister truth into the lives and hearts of others. I remember uh, meeting with someone who was a fairly new believer, and I said, well, I've taught you. You should go teach others. And you know what he said? I can't do that. I I haven't been a believer very long. Well, I'm happy to keep meeting with you, and I'm happy to disciple you, but you can meet with another and get the focus off of yourself. It's not about how much you know. It's about the power of the living And the active word of God working through people like us as we speak that word into the lives of others. Some of my greatest joys in life are spending time with my wife and 
our five kids in the Word of God each day. I love meeting with the men on Friday mornings. It is one of the key and most enjoyable times of the ministry week for me. I love meeting with brothers one-on-one for discipleship, Bible reading, and prayer, and mutual encouragement. These are, these are fruitful times for me in my life and in my spiritual growth in Christ. Let me just tell you what one pastor said. One pastor said, having a personal relationship with Jesus is magnificent. It's magnificent, but it's incomplete if it ends with you. It's incomplete if it ends with you, because part of being a follower of Jesus, he said, it is to intentionally help others learn from Christ and become more like Christ. The pastor said, I have a friend who says, if, if you're not helping other people follow Jesus, I don't know what you mean when you say that you're following Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus means that you're helping other people follow Jesus as well. So we're going to have a couple of testimonies here in a little bit. We're going to sing a song that relates to the topic of discipleship, and then I'm going to lead us in a pastoral prayer uh, that God would help us to be faithful to our vision, discipling one another. But even before Jane and Jared come up, let me just ask these questions. Beloved church family, who, who are you currently discipling? Who do you meet with? for spiritual growth, for mutual encouragement, mutual edification in the things of God. The power, if I could just say one more time, just to take the burden off of you, the power is not in you. It's not for you to have every answer to every theological question that could ever come up. You or I don't have all those answers. The power is in the Spirit of God working with His Word, working with His Word in the hearts of the people of God. So this is really a call and a renewed call to trust the power and the authority and the sufficiency of the Scriptures and to study it together and to grow together and to see how God will not only use it in your life, but also in the lives of others in the church family. So it takes a little initiative, takes a little prayer and a little little bit of proactive thinking, but oh, the joy and the benefit and the blessing of being with other believers in the mutual discipling of one another in the things of God. Jane, would you come and give a testimony? Good afternoon, church family. Jeff asked if I would share some thoughts about what I've done in discipleship and why I've done it. I was saved as an adult, having just moved to Louisiana, Booling, Louisiana, and I was at a loss. Started going to a liberal church. God sent a woman to my door, invited me to her church, started a sharing group, our whole little neighborhood was sharing in the things of Christ. 
I was a new believer. My jaw was down here all the time. We moved, she moved, and then we moved to St. Louis a couple of years later. And while I'm packing, I was discipled by good Christian radio. J. Vernon McGee and John MacArthur. Yet again, a neighbor showed up at my door. I had never met her and invited me to her Bible study. Would I like to go? Yes, I said I would. It was led by an older woman, and our curriculum, going to show my age, were tapes by John MacArthur and Kay Arthur. And this woman could look at you with those penetrating eyes and ask the most heart-searching questions, confronting you with the love of and truth of God's word. Um, she moved. <laughs> Having wonderful experiences of being discipled, now it was my turn. What have I done? I got involved with inductive Bible study, and I loved it. Eventually, I got certified to lead these classes, and the Lord opened the door for me to have classes at my former church, where I led for 23 years. In studying, the Holy Spirit disciples us. In sharing truth, we disciple each other. I have had home studies and am currently having a home study on Tuesday mornings. And this semester we're studying living by the promises of God. I've met with women one-on-one. I'm currently doing the ICBD curriculum and being discipled myself. I meet with Dana, some of you all know her, and we read a book. Our latest one, uh, our former one was Martin Lloyd-Jones, that little light book, Sermon on the Mount. And currently we're doing Zechariah by John MacArthur. I am currently meeting one-on-one with a dear friend and we share our joys, we share our struggles, our praises and prayers and life in general. And we give God all the glory. I'm big on Bible memorization. A friend from my former church walked into the place where I was a pseudo nurse and asked, would you like to memorize scripture? Yes, I said. Well, she took right over four verses a week. I was young then. And word perfect, our goal. And we memorized for years. Sometime later, I called a friend from my church and I said, I'd love some spiritual input into your daughter's lives. I'd love to memorize scripture with them but I need your permission. Yes, she said. I said, well, wait a minute. I haven't asked them yet. She said, I'm doing it with you. Yes. So we, we memorized the book of 1 Timothy. The girls dropped out sometime after uh, 1 Timothy, I think, but Kathy and I continue to this good day. I'm older, two verses a week. We say, we say it, our goal, word perfect, and We add two verses the next week until we've memorized the whole chapter. Our goal is to say one whole chapter. And then we move on to the next. Memorizing Hebrews right now. Um, Our weekly conversation with Kathy ends with, what's the Lord teaching you, Jane? And we launch into part two of our weekly update. We pray for each other and for our families. We don't go to the same church, so it's a beautiful part of our time. These are some of the things I've done. Now, why have I done it? We live in a world where the one thing that is wrong is God and truth. 
And that shapes God and truth, true reality. We do it, and I do it, because we need to know who we are. We need to know who God is. It's the eternal difference that it makes. Jeff warned us, even as mature Christians, don't drift. It wouldn't have been there if we couldn't drift. How about the world, the flesh, and the devil? How do we think? How do we process situations, bringing them more and more under the lordship of God? Every study that I would begin, I think, at my former church, I said two things. We can't know ourselves until we know God, and these are days of preparation. And I had no idea how prophetic that was. To me, it's preparation for tomorrow. God's not going to give me something I can't do tomorrow. I just walk with him today. So that's what I've done as being discipled uh, and how God took care of me and some of the things that I'm doing now. And I love it. It's a treasure. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jane, for that. Well, and I want to give testimony to, to the things uh, we've been taught here at Christ Fellowship Bible Church, specifically the catechism and family worship. And uh, as the head of my house with my wife and five kids, uh, as the Puritans would say, you're a mini pastor of your household. So how are you pastoring uh, your, your church, your flock? And so a lot of you are familiar with the the catechism that Jeff has put together for our church. It's a beautiful catechism. Uh, It just makes biblical truths simply defined. And I thought, okay, we'll get to know the catechism so I can teach the kids. Little did I know I'm going to learn a lot from that catechism. So if you don't have one, make sure you get a copy of it. Uh, It helps in so many ways, but we we really, it helped assist us with uh, disciplining our children. Because it, it starts with, you know, who made you? God. What else did God make? All things. Why did God make you in all things? For his glory. And it goes through all that. Simple truths that our four-year-old Milo can recite back. And then, once you get into discipline, you know, you get to the part of, well, what is sin? Sin is not being or doing what God forbids. Or doing, or I'm sorry. Sin is not being or doing what God requires. Or doing what God forbids. Okay, what, what did you do, you know, in this instance? You hit your, hit your brother or sister, right? Okay, does God allow that? No. Is that disobedient to God? Yes. Okay, well, what does every sin deserve? Every sin deserves the wrath and curse of God. That's right. That's what every sin deserves. So what we're doing here is a picture of God's wrath poured out on sin, but here's the good news. And you go into the gospel with them. And now we do have some new questions that what is the gospel? So the catechism has been great to just simplify these biblical truths that, even a four-year-old can understand, and yet we have all of eternity to figure out. And that's the mystery of God. So we, we use that, but we incorporate the catechism into family worship. And family worship, I mean, it comes straight out of Deuteronomy 6, right? You guys know Deuteronomy 6. I'm just going to read a few verses here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And, and here's the, the application. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Well, I knew as a Christian father and husband that I needed to do this for my wife and for my children. But Jamie didn't grow up in a, in a godly household, and neither did I. So we never had it modeled for us. And when Jeff taught about the importance of family worship, I was like, well, that sounds intriguing. That's exactly what we're looking for. So the essentials are simple, right? You need to sing together, you need to read the word, and you need to pray. That's it. Sing, read, and pray. And and it sums up Colossians 3.16, which Jeff just talked about. Um, But what we did even today is we go through the songs that we're going to sing at church. Jeff sends that great email out. We go through all the songs together, sing them so the kids know them or are familiar with them. Uh, we read the passage. I've done a little study ahead of time, so I, I, can, I can expound on it a little bit. Five or ten minutes, read the passage. And if you have older kids, they can read it. My older boys read. Aria reads a little bit. And then we talk about it. And I try and bring application questions to them so that they can understand where it's coming from. It's a call. Today's a great, going to be a great sermon on, you know, do not wait if you hear the word of the Lord today, repent and believe, right? Um, don't be like the Israelites wandering around in their disbelief. They didn't make it to the promised land. So applying that to our children and their lives, but it gets the consistency of having the word open every day. Singing, as awkward as that can be, a cappella, even if you don't have a great voice. Um, but singing songs to the Lord and, sh- and modeling that for your kids and encouraging your wife in that. And then also praying together. I thought, as I, I, I became saved in high school, and, and so did my older sisters, and we were saved, but it was awkward to talk about God. We didn't pray together, we didn't read the Bible together, but we, we were saved, so it was kind of this awkwardness. We said, we want to eliminate that for our family. Well, a great way to do that is family worship. So through family worship and through using the catechism, we have tools that have equipped us to teach our kids and to encourage my wife that I can wash her in the water of the Word as I'm called to, Um, And this is all because of the discipleship that I've had here at CFBC. So I want to end with a quote uh, from Matthew Henry. He says, They that pray in the family do well. They that pray and read the scriptures do better. But they that pray and read and sing do best of all. Well, direct your attention to the PowerPoint, if you would. And Peter's going to... Come, we're going to sing, and, and let's stand together as we sing a song. Now, it's to the melody, to the tune of Brethren We Have Met to Worship. We did that last week. But notice and think carefully about the words, because we're speaking to one another. We're singing worship to God, but we're also speaking to one another when we sing this. And uh, three wonderful verses here. Uh, from an old hymn from the Gatsby Hymnal. Let's sing it. Brother, sister, let me serve you. Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be like Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. We are pilgrims on a journey and companions on the road. We 
are here to help each other walk the mile and bear the load. I will hold the Christ light for you in the night time of your fear. I will hold my hand out to you, speak the peace you long to hear. I will weep when you are weeping, when you laugh, I'll laugh with you. I will share your joy and sorrow till we've seen this journey through. When we sing to God in heaven, we shall find such harmony. Born of all we've known together, of Christ's love and agony. Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. Amen. Good words, huh? Well, let's pray. And let's, let's come before the throne of grace together as a family of believers. And let's ask the Lord that he will help us to be faithful to the vision of the church, that we would be disciples of Christ and disciple makers of one another. Let's pray. Thank you, O Lord, for your word that is powerful and living and active. Thank you, O Lord, that even in the song that we just sang, that we can be as Christ to one another in the form of serving one another, loving one another, caring for one another, ministering to one another's needs. We thank you that as Romans tells us that we are filled with goodness and filled with all knowledge that we have in the word of God and knowledge in the gospel. We thank you that you have given us the complete word, the revelation of God, that, that we have the Bible, that we, can, that we can know it and memorize it and study it and speak that truth to the lives of other people. Oh, Father, may we be like Moses, who had his Joshua. May we be like the Apostle Paul, who had his Timothy. May we be like our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who had the twelve and even the innermost circle, Peter, James, and John. Help all of us, O God, that we would be disciples of you and disciple makers of one another, that you would help us to be intentionally pursuing one another in this network, this web of Bible-based discipling relationships in the local church. Conform us into the image of Christ, all for his glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.